The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, so just to recap everything that has happened so far in Week 7, we have the Bears beating the absolute crap out of the Raiders behind a, a magnificent performance from uh, Bajan Orange, Tyson Bajan, undrafted rookie D2 quarterback from Shepard, who somehow put up 30 points in the NFL because... That's the kind of year this is. We have the Browns somehow giving up 38 points to Gardner Minshew mm-hmm. while the Colts turned the ball over four times. And they also scored 39 themselves without even throwing for 200 yards. Because, okay, that's normal. We have the Giants beating the Commanders again. We have the Ravens curb stomping the Lions like absolutely curb stomping the lines. We have the Patriots having a good offensive day and beating the Bills. Uh, We have the Steelers doing normal fourth quarter magic Steelers bullshit once again. Uh, (laughs) We have the Chiefs beating the Chargers. Actually, that's probably the most normal occurrence out of everything that's happened this week. We have uh, Jordan Love not looking so hot. And then we have the Eagles just unleashing unholy amounts of punishment on the Dolphins defense. Uh, There were some things that went the way we expected. There was a lot that went in many unexpected ways in week seven so far. We're going to do our best to break it down today and try to make sense of all this nonsense that happened in the NFL. Fun nonsense, but nonsense nonetheless. But before we get into it, EJ, my wonderful co-host, how you feeling? Head still spinning from a Sunday that was absolutely not what we predicted. If you listen to our preview episode, sorry about that. We tried. Crumple, crumple. Done with that. Uh, (laughs) But it was entertaining nonetheless. Uh, You know, backup quarterbacks ruled the day. Um, Lots of ones that we thought wouldn't have a chance. Somehow looking like heroes. Despite some performances, we'll pick apart and some we won't. But, you know, I'm... Happy that we are in the thick of NFL football. It is entertaining as all get out. Like the early slate of games from Sunday were all within. There, there was one that wasn't, which was the Ravens game which we'll talk about. But just about every other game was within a score in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, commanders were driving for a tie on the Giants. People were winning by field goals. It just pure chaos. Good stuff. Uh, we're going to start with... Uh maybe the most chaotic day of the game, and that's saying a lot. Browns-Colts. Again, I want to stress, Deshaun Watson did not play in most of this game. He had five pass attempts. He threw a pick, and then he technically threw another pick, but it got called back because of penalty. Deshaun 
did not look great, and he left this game early. Uh, and P.J. Walker came in for the majority of this game. Again, didn't even hit 180 in terms of total passing yardage, and the Browns still put up 39 points. There was uh, a Herculean special teams effort involved in that. Uh, Miles Garrett, quite frankly, took over the game. Five pressures, two sacks, both were forced fumbles. One was a cover for a touchdown. I mean, he blocked a kick. Uh, on special teams, Garrett by himself probably had a 14-point swing in this game. He was unreal, also had six run stops, three tackles for loss. Um, we, we had contributions from Jerome Ford, you know, kind of leading the game off with a really explosive run, and everybody's like, oh, okay, cool. This is going to be a normal Browns game where they run the ball and they play strong defense, and then that just didn't happen the rest of the day. All hell broke loose. We had busted coverages, uh, from from a Brown secondary that never bust coverages. We had uh, uh, Gardner Minshew rushing touchdowns. Two. It was <laughs> two of them. Two of it, them. It was insane. Also, uh, 170 yards of Gardner Minshew's passing offense came on three plays, or passing yardage came on three plays. Two of them were busted coverages, and then uh, you had that strike to Pittman where he broke two tackles and took off for a 75-yard touchdown. So, like, this was such a weird game because the Colts were getting a bunch of really explosive plays, like individual explosive plays that were kind of carrying the day, and then they had a bunch of just slogging, grinded out, unefficient offense overall you know Gardner had five turnover worthy plays in this game in addition to all the explosives so it was either the Colts were getting absolutely nothing or getting absolutely everything you know from a play to play uh, uh, sequence this game was drunk almost from the start highly entertaining probably not entertaining for Browns and Colts fans because it was nerve-wracking for them but in terms of just wild shit happening over and over and over again. This was the weirdest, arguably most entertaining game of the entire weekend. This kind of has to be the Miles Garrett game. You talked about it. He took over in the first half. It is an absolutely dominant performance. Two sacks, two forced fumbles. Completely clears the line, blocks a field goal, six tackles. Like He just made it his game in the first half. And still, the Colts were in it, which is kind of crazy. And you look at a couple of Colts defenders on the other side doing their part to keep the Colts in it, which again, we haven't heaped a ton of praise on Colts defenders last year. We're really high on Kenny Moore and we've always liked Julian Blackman. They both had their fingerprints all over this one. Moore had a sack and a half. Gus Bradley had him screaming off the edge as a sort of <laughs> agent of chaos all day. And that Blackman might be the weirdest part of this game. The Colts were blitzing. Right. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> yeah, the Colts blitzed and the Bears blitzed. And, you know, Eberflus brought his defense from the Colts and typically has rushed for. And he had defensive backs screaming into the backfield and was running twists and stunts. Who's, you know, cats and dogs living together. It was a crazy day. Um, but it was a very entertaining game in terms of the swing and how it happened because PJ Walker was PJ Walker, like right in the middle of it, kind of stick a pin in the middle of the map. And then everything just swirled around him. He had a sub 200 yard day, no TDs, a pick like he was PJ Walker. <laughs> Minshew, on the other hand, was lofting up bombs, running for touchdowns, getting sacked like it was just super high variance. And while that makes for an entertaining product, when you 
if you're just a Browns or a Colts fan and didn't watch the game and you're waking up on Monday trying to pick it all together from the box score and be like, what happened? I'm not sure we can really explain it to you. You should probably watch the replay. Just sit down with a bowl of popcorn, grab your favorite beverage of choice, and go, huh, when it's over, just like everybody else did. Uh, one note on the long Jerome Ford touchdown, because he had 74 yards rushing and 69 of them came on that one carry. So he had one carry for 69 yards and then 10 more carries for five. So again, when we talk about highly inefficient days littered with explosive plays that still ended up being, you know, 38, 39 points for each team, like that's what we're talking about. Um, but on that explosive run, just kind of breaking down exactly how it happened because it a yes Jerome Ford did his part and and we'll get to exactly why he was able to make that run happen um but I also want to explain the defensive breakdown in the Colts front seven that allowed that long touchdown in the first place it kind of got this game going so if you're watching the all 22 from behind the Colts defense you know we get two angles we get one from behind the Browns we get one from behind the Colts if you're watching the one from behind the Colts defense you can see how Zaire Franklin was reading this run and where the mistake came in. And I'm not entirely sure it was his fault. I'm not entirely sure it was Buckner's fault. There was clearly some kind of miscommunication in terms of how they were going to fit this thing up. So DeForest Buckner's sitting at a two eye and, you know, he's taken on the guard. He's, he's kind of playing the inside shoulder and he's collapsing down. Like he's going to take away both a gaps because the center already went up to get Franklin. And so Buckner's kind of washing this down like he's going to collapse both A-gaps and force a cutback. And Zaire's watching that. He sees Buckner's jersey kind of flash in front of him from right to left. And Zaire then makes the conscious decision, okay, if he's going to take away both A-gaps, I'm just going to go backside on it. I'm going to play off DeForest. And then you're seeing the all-22 literally as Zaire does that, as he's you know kind of shedding the center and getting backside, DeForest takes the guard and also sheds backside. He's kind of getting a little greedy with it of like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to force him front side and then go back the other way and get the tackle myself, which, you know, DeForest Buckner does a lot. I'm not going to like totally blame him for thinking that way. But I think maybe they underestimated the reaction time and the quickness and the explosiveness of Ford, because literally as soon as he saw Buckner go from here to here, he put that foot in the ground and went back front side. And Zaire had already played off of DeForest to go backside. So now all of a sudden there's nobody in the A gap. And Ford runs what high four three, low four four. Like once he gets there, if he's clean through that hole, you're not going to get him. And then he just split the rest of the defense and went. So um it was a, an exceptional read, an exceptional play from Ford, made possible because of a very unfortunate defensive breakdown from Indy and again we saw that kind of play out for both teams where there was just these mental lapses on defense for both sides that led to a bunch of explosive plays that nine times out of ten probably wouldn't happen but all of them happened in the same game and it created that score which going into it if anybody thought this was going to be 39 38 they're lying to you like that that was almost entirely random, but again, highly entertaining. And I'm glad that it was random for both sides because we're going to talk about another game where kind of all the breaks went one team's way and none of the breaks went the other team's way. And 
honestly, other than just pure morbid fascination, that game wasn't very fun to watch in the second half. This game was fun all the way to the end. On the Colts side, in terms of those explosive and breakaway plays, Josh Downs had his sort of first signature game with Minshew at quarterback, which is interesting. But every time you look down, he was hauling in a pass, gaining extra yards. He was five for 125, 25 per for those of you that don't math so good. It's a touchdown <laughs> added into that. Like Josh Downs was the guy in this one. Typically, that's been Pittman. A lot of people were hoping it would be Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce has really sort of, I almost want to say, devolved into first year T. Higgins. He is the boundary guy, he is the vertical guy. And that's pretty much all they use him for. They use Pittman for everything. They'll throw him anything and everything all over the field. He usually leads in both targets and catches. Today was the Josh Downs day in terms of production. If they didn't have his contribution to this one it wouldn't have been back and forth it would have been more than one-sided but there were players like that on both sides on offense and on defense and it just sort of balanced out and ticked up at you know one score piece and it was like this is really going to come down to who holds the ball last really okay like and i'm here did. for it like <laughs> let's do it one quick note and then we'll get right back to the show. We're about a month away from the best football holiday of the year, Thanksgiving, and it's never too early to plan on how you're gonna do your turkey. It's possible even that some of you listening have never done a whole turkey before, and that's totally okay. But if you want some inspiration and guidance for how to do a turkey the right way, our friends over at ButcherBox can help you out with that. They do have whole turkeys available for order, as well as a recipe page dedicated to how to do a great apple cider brine for the turkey, as well as how to roast it to perfection. So whether you're a turkey making veteran or this is your first time ever, it's going to come out great. And ButcherBox, of course, has recipes for every other cut of meat that they offer as well. All of their beef is 100% grass fed. They have free range chicken and turkey, obviously, wild caught seafood and pork that's raised crate free. Whatever cut of meat you can think of, they have it available to deliver right to your door in either custom or curated boxes. And if you do want to get one of those whole turkeys that I mentioned earlier for free, by the way, if you order anything from ButcherBox and use our promo code BOOTLEG to get literally any order before November 12th, you will also get an entire 10 to 14 pound turkey for free with that first box, plus $20 off your first order as well. Again, that is an entire Thanksgiving turkey for free, plus a $20 discount on the price of that first box, just by using promo code bootleg at butcherbox.com bootleg. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, all right, second game on the docket, Ravens-Lions. This one, I, I don't want to say it was um, as random as as uh the colts and browns game because it wasn't no. but it was as unexpected you know and, and we talked to the preview like we could have seen we could have seen either team winning this one honestly c coming into it you know you're looking at tape you're looking at every single metric that we have available to us like it, on paper this looked like two teams that were destined to to just go to war for four quarters and just completely slug it out. Good defense against well, great defense against great defense, you know, super hot quarterback against another super hot quarterback uh, in Lamar. When his guys catch the ball, this was shaping up to be a, a really, really, really fun game. And then the whistle blew and we saw the difference. And this is no disrespect to Jared Goff. He is a top 10 quarterback this year. 
we saw the difference in him versus Lamar in the sense that when Lamar is on, when Lamar is having one of his, you know, top Lamar days where he literally can't miss and he's also making stuff happen with his legs and he's impossible to sack, you know, and he's seeing the field super well and the protections holding up. Like if he just has a little bit of help, i.e. his receivers are actually catching the ball. There's really nothing you could do to stop him. Like he was perfect, actually perfect in the first half of this game. And, uh, you know, just kind of reading off um, the drive results, like this is really going to hammer home how quickly this one got away from Detroit because of how unstoppable Lamar was early in this game. So first drive, Ravens touchdown. Okay. Then it was Lions punt, Ravens touchdown, Lions punt, Ravens touchdown, Lions punt, Ravens touchdown, turnover on downs from Detroit when they were already down 28 nothing. Lions could not get off the field. Lamar was getting anything he wanted. They were popping explosive runs because the, the guards were playing out of their mind against a very good Lions front seven. Uh, the, the guard center guard trio for, for Baltimore was just pushing them around. They popped a huge uh, outside zone run with Gus. They popped an inside zone run with Justice Hill. Lamar had a big scramble. And when you're when you're looking at everything that was working for the Ravens, it's actually a shorter list of what wasn't working for the Ravens. They ran the ball well. They pass protected um, ex- extremely well. Like no sacks. Only two quarterback hits the entire game on Lamar. You know the receivers caught everything. Zay got a big, um, you know, yards after catch moment, which we know that he's more than capable of doing like they got Bateman involved. They got Odell involved. Andrews got involved in national tight end day, got a touchdown out of it. Everything worked. And I mean, everything Todd Monken called a much better game this week than he, he did against Tennessee. When the Ravens play like this, this is the exact kind of game that, that backs up why we said, Hey, they're one of the big threats to Kansas city because they're balanced. They're aggressive, they're talented, they're explosive, they're efficient. You know, when they catch the ball, (laughs) they're extremely hard to get off the field on third down. They're great in the red zone, you know, when they're actually allowing Lamar to throw in the red zone, i.e. not the Tennessee game. This team is terrifying, just utterly terrifying. And as good as the Lions are, and the Lions are exceptional, they ran into a freight train in Baltimore, and quite frankly, I don't think there's anybody in the league that would have beat them yesterday with the way they were playing. There's nobody that would have beat them. It should terrify other teams when this team hits on all cylinders and Baltimore finally found the balance that they've been looking for all year. We've said this about other teams so far that Philadelphia hasn't really had that game where they hit on all cylinders. Maybe they did yesterday, but leading up to that, we really felt like they were performing well, but they could do better. We felt the same about the Kansas City offense, and we've certainly felt that way about the Baltimore offense, that there was a lot there, but they weren't putting it together. The defense was playing at an elite level. Yesterday, it all hit, and we expected the Lions to push back just as hard because they have had games like that this year where the defense played extremely well. It's played really well all year, and the offense has been just chewing people up. Baltimore hit the field. Like you said, the whistle blew. Everything worked. The Lions hit the field. 
and nothing worked. And that's the part we couldn't have predicted because they fell apart on offense. They fell apart on defense. And what you ended up was with was a completely lopsided result. Again, Lamar's crushing it. He's got the flow in Monken's offense. He's had it for a couple of weeks. Everybody else is catching up. You know, two two games ago now, he hit everybody and they dropped everything. One game ago, he hit everybody and they started to catch it. This game, he hit everybody again and they all caught it. It was 21 of 27 for 357, three TDs and no picks. He only had 36 rushing yards in this game. We talk about Lamar magic. Yes, the second touchdown, he had a 10-second play, like, what that's (laughs) not i mean that's lamar just moving within the pocket but he was moving within the pocket this is all passing i don't want to hear that this guy can't play from the pocket his entire day yesterday that dismantled one of the best teams in the entire league was all from the pocket justice hill threw in explosives in 11.5 yards per carry against the previously very formidable lions run defense they've been excellent against the run all year but again The offensive line deserves a ton of credit. They kept Lamar clean. He was able to operate from that pocket. And when they turned him loose to go make holes for the running game, they did that as well. Monken's completely in his bag and Detroit had no answers, which is really surprising because they were, you know, they couldn't get any pressure. They had zero sacks in this one. That's a huge credit to the O-line because Hutchison was leading the league in pressures coming into this one to basically take a guy that's at the top of the league and blank him all day, both give your quarterback space and create space in the running game. We've seen very few offensive line performances throughout the year that are that dominant in both phases, and the Ravens were yesterday. It's one of the reasons that they won. So no sacks, no picks, and they got down by four scores early. You looked up and it was, you know, I put out a tweet at 21-0 that said, of course we said Detroit's defense was going to be tough to crack. And then Lamar capes up, has some 10-second plays. They're up 21. They go up another score. They go up 28 before the first half. You're down four scores. You can't get any pressure. You can't stop the run. Like, I thought, okay, here come the second half adjustments. Eh, didn't make a big difference. They were pretty faltering in the second half as well. They, you know, they managed a few points but they never look like they put it together on either side. Ravens kept their foot on the accelerator and this one got lopsided in a hurry. I, I think it's safe to say Mike McDonald is not a top five defensive coordinator in the NFL. He's a top three defensive coordinator in the NFL and he might not be three. Like he is, he is outrageously good at this, okay? And I know he's going to get head coaching uh, interviews at some point in time because he's on a rocket ship, you know, um, between what he did at Michigan and then coming back to Baltimore and what he's done with this defense, even though they have had to deal with some injuries in their own right. Like, this has not been an entirely healthy unit. But to have arguably the best overall pass rush in the NFL um, to even with the injuries that they've been dealing with in the secondary to be as disciplined and as consistent as they are in that secondary, even swapping in new guys like every single week, you know, like they're getting contributions from everybody, everybody. And the versatility of this defense from a schematic standpoint is also just so impressive to me. You know, we we talked in the preview episode about how, you know, the Steelers, by comparison, are extremely predictable. You know, it's middle field, close structure, 70% of the time on early downs. They get you in a third and long, it's cover two. If it's third and medium, it's man. 
Like they, they play like four things, you know, you look at Baltimore's defense, they play everything like all the time. Their game plan looks entirely different every single week. And even just the sacks, they had five sacks in this game. The sacks that they got on golf, they were all in different coverages. Um, you know, they had a sack on zero uh, where they brought a DB off the edge. They had another in cover two. Um, they had another in like a three, three fire zone where they brought Marlin off the edge and dropped a nose tackle. Cause why not? And then they got two more just in like normal quarters coverage, which, you know, if you're looking at the stats, it's like, Oh, they play a lot of quarters coverage. And it's like, they do, but they also play a lot of everything else in it. And the, all the quarters they play is really more like, okay, here's, here's our base look, but depending on where your matchups are, we can get into cover two if we need to, and not just matchups, but also like receiver distribution, two by two versus three by one, or, um, you know, are you super condensed? Or are you super spread out? Like the way they play and you can literally see how they respond to motion. They have different answers for everything, whether it's quarter, quarter, half, half, quarter, quarter, cover two, cover one, um, three different variations of cover three that I just saw in this game. And it, it feels like a very, Nick Saban-ish type defense, not in the sense that they play all the same stuff that Nick does as frequently as Nick does, but in the sense that Saban defenses have answers for everything. Like there is no look that you can throw at them that they don't have a check for. And the Ravens are the exact same way. And so they always have an answer. Everybody's always on the same page. Like I said, they're super disciplined despite not always having the same dudes in the secondary. They very rarely bust ever, like very rarely bust. And all that versatility comes from the fact that they they have the freedom to check into all this stuff based on the the looks that they're getting. And so they're never they're never caught in bad leverage. They're never caught in a bad matchup. Um, if they really need to, they'll blitz their way out of anything. They're like, fuck it. Like we don't have a we don't have like the best look out here on the back end, but we're gonna make sure you have to get rid of it in less than two seconds anyway. It's just a phenomenally coached defense. And you know, I, I know that all the the offensive, the young offensive guys are going to get interviews this offseason. You know, Ben Johnson's going to get interviews. Kellen's going to get interviews. Canales, all these guys. Mike McDonald should get interviews because that is an elite coach. And the Ravens, the Ravens know they have an elite coach, and I think they know they're not going to have him forever. Forever, but like that dude can coach his ass off, and Baltimore's very lucky to have him. They're profiting from it right now. And you mentioned quarters. We talked about quarters in the preview episode as a coverage that nobody plays against Goff. He'd seen what less yeah. than 20 snaps of quarters coming into this. They got, they two, got sacks two sacks on it <laughs> on quarters. Like that's when you look at it and go, oh, tendency breaking, completely amorphous, different guys. I mean, Roquan's been an absolute rock, but different guys sort of starring every week. The ageless Kyle Van Noy with two sacks in this one. Matabike had another one. He's been very good all year. The rushing game for Detroit was actually fairly effective against this front, but they didn't get to use it because they were down literally 21 nothing in the first minutes of this game. <laughs> And Can we talk about gonna... how Jameer Gibbs fantasy owners are so pissed, by the way, because this is the first game all year where they're like, oh, they have to use Jameer Gibbs now. It's like, nope, they're going to get blown out so they can't run with him. No, nope, you didn't so get funny. very many shots. They only got 14 carries for their RBs total. 
because they got in a huge hole. When you're down 28 points, you're not going to run your way back into it. I don't care who you have at running back. So that was that was kind of that. And that was the Ravens' way to <laughs> – and we talk about a lot of times the defense forcing the offense out of what they wanted to do. This was the Ravens' offense forcing the Lions' offense out of what they wanted to do because they just forced them to chase. And at that point, they couldn't keep up because the Ravens defense, because of that balance, they're really good. We said that Amon Ra might have nine or 12 receptions. He had 13. And again, we said Baltimore would be really happy with that if he had a whole bunch of receptions, no explosives, and no touchdowns. That's the way it played out. Like They let him get catches all day long, and it didn't make one bit of difference in the final score. So Goff threw for 53 times and only gained 284 yards. McDonald, if you want the sort of resume note on this, this is the Ben Johnson offense that's been scoring 30 points on the regular. They held the entire offense to 4.7 yards per play. Runner pass all day long, under five per play. That is a very low average. That is a tremendous team defense performance. Completely agree that McDonald should get hood coaching looks and the Ravens defense right now. It has been all year. It's been really scary, but now you have Monken's offense gelling Lamar operating it. I think at the highest level in the league, I don't think there's a quarterback right now. I was thinking of this yesterday. I was thinking about who's a quarterback right now that's operating at a higher level than Lamar. And I don't think there is one. I mean, it's really just Pat. I mean, Pat had one of the most productive, if not the most productive first half he's ever had in his career this week um, without a number one receiver. But I, I guess yeah, if we're uh, just, <laughs> if we're taking Mahomes, well, I mean, Kelsey's the number one we're talking <laughs> Kelsey's like, the number wide one. receiver, right? But I think if we're just, if we just take Mahomes out of the conversation, because at this point we kind of have to, because how do you compare anybody to Patrick Mahomes in terms of the non Mahomes quarterbacks in the NFL? Like, yeah, Lamar's, Mars playing like the best one. And I I don't really think that's debatable. No. Truly. After the last uh, three weeks, it's very difficult to. And I would argue that if you took Mahomes' last three weeks and Lamar's last three weeks, Lamar's playing at a higher level. He hasn't had the same results, but in terms of the way that he is operating within his offense, he has arguably been more efficient than Mahomes over the last three weeks. Like he's that good because to be even mentioned in that same context with Mahomes under Andy Reid now and year whatever it is six like they're completely dialed and Monken's new <laughs> so yeah Lamar is six weeks into this thing seven weeks into this thing Mahomes is six or seven years <laughs> into this thing like the fact that they're being mentioned in the same breath is how good Lamar is playing right now um speaking of very very injured football teams by the way the Patriots and the Bills met this week uh, two extremely injured football teams. Uh, the Bills it feels like a long time ago. They used to be the healthiest organization in the league. They went there. There was like a three-year stretch where, you know, they were bottom three in terms of missed games lost by or games lost from starters due to injury. You know, their sports science program. Everybody was lauding it as the best in the NFL because everybody was always uh, extremely in shape. Nobody was getting hurt. This team was just an impenetrable fortress of, of health and wellness. And then the last two years happened, and God, it just, it never ends. It never ends. Um, you know, Von Miller got six snaps in this game because he still just can't get right 
you know, coming off that ACL. There was talk about a, a hip injury is like a compensation injury that he's dealing with too. Um, you know, the secondary's banged up. The linebackers are banged up. The defensive line's banged up. Everything's banged up for Buffalo. So I don't entirely hold a game like this against them, losing to the Patriots. But at the same time, Patriots are pretty banged up too. And I want to give credit for Mac Jones. Again, considering all the injuries that New England's had to deal with this year, for him to come out and have the performance that he did, you know, considering all of the criticism from myself included for how he's played this year, that was a gutsy, gutsy performance. And, and maybe the best game that he's played in like a couple of years, truth be told. I mean, 25 of 30, ultra efficient, couple touchdowns. Um, I think he only got sacked once, if I recall correctly. You know, average time to throw of 2.2 seconds. He was fantastic. And not that like he completely dominated the game, mm-hmm. but the fact that he was so efficient and kept them on schedule and kept them out of that dreaded third and long where they've not been good this year at all. They've arguably been the worst third down offense in the entire NFL. The fact that he was so decisive and such a good distributor in this game and kept them out of trouble. It just felt like for the first time in a long time, there wasn't constant pressure and anxiety when watching this team try to score. It felt like everything was calm. Everything was in control. Everything was in rhythm. It felt easy. Injuries are not for Buffalo. You still got to make the reads and you still got to make the throws. And Mac Jones did that yesterday. So I want to start off by giving him credit for that. I genuinely hope he can keep doing that. If he can, New England has a shot here to not be terrible. Um, but it's it's refreshing to see him do that is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to be diplomatic about it, but it's refreshing well, to see him do that for the first time in a very, very long time. I think that's the point, actually, is that he didn't try and do too much for the first time in a while. And it was clearly his best game in a long time. And it was that he just tried to operate the offense in the way that we saw him do in his rookie year. He was efficient. He didn't try and force the ball down the field, which he is not great at. He hit the efficient throws. He was on time. He was decisive and he wasn't trying to go outside himself. And that's a theme for this game because we're going to talk about it when we get to Buffalo and we talk about it all the time with Buffalo because it's the central issue. Like how much is Josh doing? How much is on Josh's plate? It, feels like through the first six games of this year, too much has been on Mac's plate or he's put too much on his plate. He's tried to take two big bites out of the defense. He didn't do that yesterday. And the result was a very similar kind of flashback to performance to that exceeding expectations rookie year. And it worked and it looked way better. And I'm sure lots of New England fans took a large sigh of relief based on that. But a lot of that was him not trying to overstep, not trying to take the bigger bite. And the results were way, way, way better. He only had eight pressure dropbacks in this entire game, mainly because, again, he was getting it so he's getting it out so quick that nobody could pressure him anyway. But Mac under pressure is not good. Mac with no pressure, you can win with. So I think that honestly should be the priority going forward of if we have to hold the ball long enough to throw it more than 15 yards down the field, our offensive line 
as it stands now, probably won't hold up hold up long enough for Mac to do that anyway. So let's not even bother. Let's honestly just make our passing game into a quasi running game with all these, you know, four yard, five yard throws. He, like his average depth of target yesterday was four point four. Yeah, that is staggeringly low, but it worked. Like they literally ran the ball with max arm if that makes sense yep. they didn't they didn't hold it long enough to try to take a shot because they knew they even with the bills banged up they probably couldn't protect long enough to do it anyway so they didn't and <laughs> i i again i want to credit the the patriot staff for recognizing like here's what we can do and here's what we can't we need to hit all green lights doing this exact thing with mac and basically turn him into a point guard but they did it so all, all the credit in the world to them uh on the flip side who man buffalo um <laughs> they got problems that are that are beyond just just injuries i feel like we got four four years now we've been talking about this three or four years now we've been talking about this where the bills if you need them to get an explosive run play they can get an explosive run play if you need to to have them consistently get four yards on the ground to stay on schedule they can't do it They've never been able to. doesn't matter who the running back is. doesn't matter who they've had on the offensive line. Like, this is a team that gets a lot of twos and threes on first down instead of a lot of fours and fives. And as a result, you know, with having such a low success rate in terms of early down runs, this team, or rather the coaching staff of this team, has a notorious tendency to say, well, that's not working. <laughs> Let's just throw. You know, because that's they feel like that's the only way that they can get five yards on first down is like we're just going to throw and throw and throw and throw. And unlike the Patriots, who were able to play that game with with this cold hearted efficiency where they were able to get fours and fives with the passing game, the Bills could not. And there have been a lot of games over the last few years where the Bills could not do that. They could not substitute their passing game for a running game. And there's a bunch of different reasons for that. You know, sometimes Josh will completely go off the deep end and be like, that stick route, I know that stick route's probably what I should throw. <laughs> but Stefan's 30 yards that way, and I, I really like that deep seven. You know, you know, he threw a pick on that first series like he threw he literally threw a pick on it on a seven on a flood concept to the field with a hang corner hang corner like literally just drifting under it being like oh you're throwing this okay cool thank you um and i i i love josh i think he's so talented i think he's so gifted i think he does things that very few other quarterbacks can do he's not built to play that way he's not built to be the guy who can be satisfied with eight or nine five-yard throws in a row. Like Mac Jones, say what you want about Mac, he can clearly do that. He can clearly rein himself in to mount those kind of drives. Josh is always going to be wired to be like, where's 14? Where's Gabe? You know, where's the guy that's down the field? Like they didn't hit a single ball 15-plus yards past the line of scrimmage because New England didn't let him. They played over the top of everything. All the corners were literally 
like five yards over the top of these receivers. Like we're not going to give you any deep balls. If we have to play man, we're going to double 14 and leave everybody else one-on-one because we don't think you're going to throw the slant. We don't think you're going to throw the shallow cross. We don't think you're going to take the easy stuff. And he didn't, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so frustrating watching the Bills because it's the same problems over and over and over again. It's the lack of an efficient run game, which means the coaching staff then goes into fuck it mode and starts relying on Josh and Josh isn't built to play that way. Josh is built to play in an offense where there's balance so that if they absolutely need him to be a superhero, he can do it three or four times in a game. If you need him to be a superhero 15 times in a game, like mistakes will be made. Drives will stall. It's just, it is what it is. And the difference between him and Mahomes is that Mahomes can do either one. Josh kind of can't, you know, like he needs to play in a balanced offense that actually succeeds in running the ball on early downs. They can't do it. How many ever years we're into the Josh Allen era, they still can't do it. And until they can do it, quite frankly, I don't really have any expectations for this team. Like, yeah, they'll make the playoffs and and they'll be there, but do I think they're going to beat Baltimore? Do I think they're going to beat Kansas City playing like this? No. Like, I really don't. This is the book on Josh at this point. And the Patriots played this tune pitch perfect. You're going to sell out against the run, which really, honestly, isn't even that hard to do. And the Patriots are really good against it. So this was not a difficult task. We are going to ensure that on early runs, they're not super productive so that they panic and put the ball in Josh's hands. And when they do that, we expect that he will do these things. And you laid them out pretty clearly. He's going to give you a couple. There are going to be arm punts. He is going to go for throws that he shouldn't get because he thinks he can get them. Josh had 41 dropbacks and ran seven times in this one. That means the offense was, he was was the offense on 75% of the plays. And make no mistake, that's exactly what Belichick wanted. He wanted Mm -hmm. the ball in Josh's hands, making those decisions and frustrating him. We talked for the last couple of weeks about frustration-based defense. Patriots played it. You talked about it. They gave them the underneath stuff and said, you're not going to take it, so we'll give it to you. We're going to take away the stuff you really want and frustrate you until you force it, and then we're going to be there. And they were. Cook was decent, but again, the average run against this very good front was not good enough. And the ball immediately pivoted into Josh's hands and he had to play hero ball. And Josh Allen hero ball is not where any Buffalo fan wants their team to be. It's really not, I think, where the coaching staff wants it to be, but they've got to know by now there is enough road traveled. There is enough tread off this tire that they know that if we do this, this is going to occur. And I'm sure it's wholly frustrating for Dorsey and McDermott and everybody else to go, Josh, we need you to hit the stuff that's underneath. It's not like they stopped calling that stuff. Those routes are there. Like he has checkdowns. It's not um, some other offensive coordinators around the league who don't have contingencies for Patriots playing over the top and bracketing digs. Like they know that's going to occur, but he just gets itchy. And when he doesn't, he is wildly effective and he can beat anybody in the league. We've seen it happen. We saw it happen in person at the Rams game beginning of last season. Mm -hmm. He just relaxed and took it. And the Rams had no answers and the bills rolled them in their own stadium. 
All Bills fans want that. <laughs> All Bills yeah. coaches probably want that. But that's not going to happen at this point. He is not going to rein himself in. So this is the book on how to beat Buffalo, and it's not hard to do because, again, stopping that run, an average run defense can do that right now. Once you do that, <laughs> the pivot is big play explosive, Josh, and we'll get as many of those throws as you will. And we yeah. think we can win. And people actually want that. It's kind of scary that you've got a super weapon in the NFL and opposing coaches are like, oh, yeah, let him handle it as many times as possible. I don't I don't think that's what people say against Mahomes. In fact, I know it's not what they say against Mahomes, but it is what they say against Josh right now. It's what the Patriots wanted to do. It's what they executed very well. They supported it and they get what I want to say should be an unlikely win on paper. But as you looked at the game, it felt. After the first quarter, like, oh, here we go again. This <laughs> it's is like, this is what this is going to be. This yeah. is how this is going to go. Okay. All right. I would love to be wrong. I would love to see some second half adjustments that make me look like an idiot. But if I'd had to, you know, make an in-game prediction, middle of quarter two, it would have been just like it turned out. 10 of their 17 non-Josh Allen carries in the Buffalo run game went for three yards or less. 10 of their 17. They got a third of their non-Josh Allen rushing yards on one 20-yard pop from Cook. Like, it's it's maddeningly inefficient. Um, and then on the coverage side, honestly, they played a lot of the same stuff that, that Cleveland did uh, against the Niners. It's a lot of a lot of man coverage with just zone help over the middle because the one thing that Josh has been able to punish this defense with in the past because they play a lot of man coverage is like deep crossing routes. And so they just put zone help in the middle to help against deep crossing routes or like beat us with everything else. Didn't do it. You know, like they're like, we're going to take away this one route that we know you absolutely love, especially to 14, throw literally anything else. And it's his his over reliance on digs is also just becoming such a huge problem. There was a third and seventeen in the red zone, which I know third and seventeen doesn't sound super makeable, but you could even see pre snap like they had an extra guy on digs. It's like we are playing not just three over two; they played four over two. They played a box coverage against two guys because digs was there. And they're like, we're not going to let you throw to digs, and so they left Dawson. Uh, on the other side, one on one on a on a fade, and he had like five yards of separation in the end zone. It's easy touchdown, and Josh just didn't even look. And it's like, dude, I'm I'm just a dude sitting here in my apartment. Like I'm not an NFL quarterback, and even I can see pre snap the safety's just staring at Stephon Diggs, yeah. saying, "Go ahead, go ahead, run I anything his way." I don't know. It's just. They have an out. Such a one-dimensional team, man. I, I yeah, they drafted Kincaid to be a number two wide receiver, much like Kelsey is a number one in Kansas City. They wanted a dynamic threat. They used a first-round pick to get him. Now he played that role in this game. Eight for seventy-five, led all the Buffalo receivers in catches. But the frustrating thing about this is, I don't know if they don't trust him yet, or they just haven't figured out that he can run past the sticks. <laughs> they throw the majority of targets to him short of the sticks and he catches them. Yeah. He caught them all in this game, but they ran one target past the sticks to him yesterday and he caught it. <laughs> and it was like, so refreshing. It was like, aha, you do not have to run him out and stop him. You do not have to run him out and turn him on a 90 degree angle. You know, 
he can do things that are dynamic and he can be an effective number two, easily as effective as Gabe Davis in a different way, in a different part of the field that they haven't leveraged typically. And it's like, I just don't know if they haven't given him, you know, full control or they don't feel comfortable about that. But like we saw that in Kincaid's college tape, like he is a, he can be a dominant vertical threat from the middle or even from the outside. And they have him, they drafted him to use him that way. So if you're going to play this kind of offense, which we don't necessarily agree with, we would like to see more balance in run game. Use what you've got. And you're right. That absolute laser lock on 14, because look, Stephon Diggs, top five receiver in the NFL. He'll pay it off more than he won't. But the Patriots said, look, we're going to lock him down. We're going to double cover him. We're going to hit him at the catch point all day long. Just frustrate the piss out of him. And then we're going to, again, make you go somewhere else. We're going to take away your first favorite thing and see if you can pivot to the second. They need to pivot to Kincaid, but on routes past the sticks. Like, please, please, please. It's just, uh, man. Like, the Buffalo Bills are an enigma wrapped in a mystery. I know a great football team is in there somewhere. Like, I know it's in there somewhere. They we've beat seen the it. power out of Miami. Like, we've seen it. We, we've absolutely seen it many, many times. But the inconsistency is mind-numbing. And I, I don't know how Bills fans do it at this point. Because, like, they, they watch this team even more than we do. And they see it every week. Like, they see the glimpses of what they could be every single week. They have the best quarterback this franchise has had since Jim Kelly. They have overall the best roster this team has had since the early night. I mean, when they're healthy, you know. But I still feel like this team has come nowhere close to playing up to their potential. And I I don't know if they will this year. I really don't. Like, it just it feels like a cursed year for them. And it's kind of sad. It really is because I, I know what they could have been and they're they're just not close. They're not close. Um, in terms of teams that that are maximizing every inch of what they do have, the Rams. It's a young team. You know, there there's some star power surrounded by a bunch of kids. You know, it's it's uh, positively ancient by NFL standards. Matthew Stafford still playing great football. You got Cooper Cup, you got Aaron Donald, and yet it's Puka Nakua, fifth round rookie with one of the most productive rookie years, not just uh, in Rams history, in NFL history. He's one of only two rookie receivers ever to have over 700 yards in their first seven career games. And crucially this week, you know, we talk about maximizing what you got on the roster. Crucially, this week was the first time that we saw Puka dominate man coverage. You know, he has been their their anti-zone guy basically the mm -hmm. entire year. It's, hey, you're going to run a shallow. You're going to sit it down in between the two hooks. We're going to throw it to you on time, on target. You're going to turn up the field, get seven more yards. We're going to do that eight or, eight or nine times more in this game, and you're, you're just going to catch everything under 10 yards and turn up field and, and convert first downs and everything like that. This game, with how much man the Steelers like to play, they tried something different. And we kind of went into it thinking like, oh, Cooper Cup's going to eat because they're going to run him on a bunch of crossing routes against all this man coverage, and he's going to get, you know, 100-something yards. That's why we took Cup in the slip of like, Cup's going to eat all this man coverage. And Sean McVay, being Sean McVay, was like, 
you're right, but you're wrong. Because we're going to do that, but we're going to do it with Puka Nakua. Like, Puka is going to run shallows and deep crosses and all manner of, of man coverage breakers. And there's not a damn thing Pittsburgh can do about it. And I'll tell you what, it almost worked. It almost worked. Like, this is, a again, a young team, a team that is not all the way there roster-wise, but they are maximizing everything that they have to almost come oh so very close to winning games like this one against a much more talented Steelers roster. Were it not for a couple calls not going their way in, in the last minutes of this game, they very well could have won this thing. And so uh, I guess my my initial impression before we get to talking about the Steelers is, yes, the Rams lost, but boy, I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of all the youth in L.A. Like this team, if if the old guys stick around for another couple years, this team could be really, really good in like 2024, 2025, because the young kids are they're playing out of their mind right now. If Stafford stays healthy and Donald decides he wants to keep playing football like he is, and I don't know why he wouldn't right now because he's having a lot of fun out there, this team could make a run next year. They need some pieces, and good Lord, do they need to tackle. Like, <laughs> yeah, They had yeah. this game more than calls at the end. Like We'll talk about the call at the end that everybody's going to talk about, and it was wrong. We'll just get that out of the way. The final spot on Pickett, he was short like replay shows he was really short he was short like but that's not what you can lean on or what you should be leaning on as a football team really from the tying drive on the rams just didn't tackle they just stopped tackling they gave the steelers everything they wanted it was long gains and they were all easy like they broke tackles and ran like 60 yards like yeah you can't just quit tackling you know, middle of the fourth quarter and expect to win a close football game. But Stafford is a revelation. And it was really, there was a sharp contrast this week between, you know, Kenny won the game and down the field, Kenny Pickett, if you asked him to show up, throw a back shoulder or a stop, he's, he's good. If you ask him to lead anybody, he is helpless. Like at least down the field. Yeah, down the field, he's terrible in leading receivers. Like, he often throws the ball out of bounds. Even the really long one down the middle to Pickens, Pickens had to, like, slow up and catch it off his back hip. Like, he, that's a touchdown if he lays that ball out in front of him. There was, you know, routes down the boundary where he had wide receivers open, and he literally threw it over their head out of bounds. Like, but again, you ask him to throw back shoulder or stops, like, he's on point with those. He's super accurate. And then you go to Stafford. And Stafford is just drilling like thread through needle shots at any length of the field and ripping them. I have no explanation for this because Stafford is one of the most beat up quarterbacks I can think of. And he is drilling it. We say it every week. We saw it this week. He hit Puka in stride on most of those crossers. Like they were not tough catches. And what I think people are starting to realize about Puka and yes, beating man was a revelation is how freaking big he is. Like when he catches the ball, he is often running over people and it's not just small people. (laughs) He's running over linebackers. Sometimes he's running over safeties. He's definitely running over corners. And once he gets himself free, he's big. 
and he's fast and he is more than willing to lower a shoulder on a defensive back and just run them the hell over. And at this point, you're kind of like, what do you do? Because before he was dominating that section in the middle of the field against zone. And yes, he was getting yak by turning and running tough. If he's at speed running away from man coverage, which we saw him do over and over and over again in this game, and he's got a head of steam with somebody that's come in at an angle, good night. Like, there is not a good answer for that. And he's absolutely thriving. You talked about the statistical dominance. Rams are, you know, Darrell Henderson's back for the Rams. Didn't matter a ton in this game, but it's going to matter down the stretch. That's just another way for them to grab explosive plays. Cups come back. Henderson's back in the lineup. Higby hasn't been used in the way that we've seen him in the past because a lot of his targets have gone to Puka because they're just more efficient, but that doesn't mean that Higby can't catch all those touches touchdowns he caught a couple of years ago it's a fun team and i'm with you if a couple of pieces one on offense and one defense veteran pieces stay around they get a little bit better on the offensive line and they freaking tackle at the end of games they're gonna be a spoiler team in terms of the positive notes for the steelers um i i agree somewhat on the on the picket stuff in terms of inaccuracy down the field i i definitely agree that back shoulders he's he's great at back shoulder throws you see it a couple times a game you know there was a out route i think to deontay that he he hit a whole shot to deontay that was really nice um like you'll see it a couple times a game where it's like on time on target perfect placement and then there's a couple of game where it's like who was that too you know and so it's not that he's bad he's just inconsistent and when we're comparing him to the other quarterbacks in the afc that are not inconsistent at those that's where the frustration comes from you know because it's like buddy you got great receivers <laughs> like just just please hit them as much as we think you can like matt canada is not going to dial up a lot of great concepts for you but when he does like you got to hit it and and i think the difference in in first First through third quarter, Kenny versus fourth quarter, Kenny should also be discussed. Like he does magically get more accurate in the fourth quarter. I've never really understood why, but he just does. And he if does. he could just play like that the entire game, I think there would be a lot less negative discourse about Kenny. Um, it, it's it's one of the NFL's great mysteries of why the Steelers can't get their shit together until the final final fifteen minutes, or really just the second half in general. Um, there was a fun stat I saw this morning. So the Steelers are four and two legitimately very good football team, mm. but they have yet to uh, have more plays from scrimmage yardage or first downs than anybody they played this year. And they're still four and two. They are, Seems gritty, about right. they are gutty. They are ugly. <laughs> like it, there is nothing pretty about how the Steelers win, but, but they win. I would argue the reason why they win is TJ Watt. And if there was ever a, a defensive player that was going to get MVP votes this year, it's going to be TJ Watt because mm -hmm. there is a, a remarkable correlation between the Steelers winning and TJ making some absolutely mind-blowing, game-changing play. Like, they don't win without him doing that, mm -hmm. especially in this game. Like, the interception that he had not to go on like a, a tangent with it, but Oh, I'm going on that, a tangent on this one. That, that was <laughs> even by TJ Watt standards. That was one of the best plays he's ever made. Okay. Like they come out right. first play of the second half. 
Skoranek's on the field. It's 11 personnel. And so they're thinking it's a two-back look. So they match base personnel. And then they spread it out. They go empty. It's a cover two check for the Steelers when you go empty. Like they play cover two like 80% of the time against empty. But they're in base personnel. And McVay did that on purpose because he wanted to catch them in base. That's why Skoranek was even out there in the first place. And so TJ, because he's the Sam linebackers, walked out on the slot. And it's like, cool, TJ's not Russian. He's not going to be a threat. So we're going to call this little return route, work off the Mike linebacker to Cooper Cup, get a nice little drive starter for like eight, nine yards. And TJ, you know, he's just playing Palms rules out there. Like he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And he's like, look, my safety's sitting inside of this number two behind me. Like I have the freedom to come off and just go attack Cooper Cup working off the Mike linebacker. Like I know that's where Matt's trying to throw it anyway. So he left number two drove on number three, undercut it, took it back to the seven-yard line. I'm like, that's a top three edge rusher in the league making a play that Roquan Smith makes. Yep. What the fuck? <laughs> like, by no. his standards, that's even insane. And it's the difference in the game. We need to we need to shine as much light or drive as deep down the rabbit hole uh, or go on the longest tangent we need to about this. It's He's lined up in coverage basically outside it's slot but he's outside he floats off his guy and undercuts a route like we see lots of corners that don't do that we see tons of safeties that don't do that we see lots of pass coverage linebackers that don't have anywhere near that recognition and it was this isn't a fluke it's not like oh matt threw it at me so i'm gonna catch it he literally leaves his guy and drives his eyes are inside his route mm-hmm. comes off and his eyes are inside and he's like, screw it. Like to have that confidence as an edge in the pass game, make the catch. And then he's got moves. He's got moves after he catches the ball. He takes it all the way back down to the six. He deeks a guy gets another five or six yards right down by the six. Like this is not a regular player. We have sung his praises highly on the show for the last couple of years. He is always 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 a candidate for defensive player of the year as long as he's healthy mm-hmm. like and that play you know not to mention his pass rush his pass rush is amazing and very productive but also like super predictable and that makes it crazy like he gets like 80 percent of his pass rush production off one move everybody but knows it works. coming and but nobody it can stop it <laughs> So you would think, oh, well, that's a one-trick pony, right? He's outside speed rusher, right, with a really good rip move. Like, But then he's picking off passes that he has no business covering and doing it, like, completely confidently. Staggering play. Like, I went back and watched that play, like, five times this morning, and I was like, yep, nope. That's the way I saw it. I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> I thought there was some other explanation for that play. There's not. TJ Watt, just a great football player. Overall, this game, and again, I was there live. I was in SoFi, you know, seeing 80% of the stadium with terrible towels. Like that, that was a Steelers home game uh, through and through. And I, I came away with roughly the same impression after the game as I did going into it which is this team will drag you down into the mud and beat you with experience because that's what they're good at. Like they are, they are never going to be, they're never going to be the dolphins in terms of, you know, throwing it all over the yard and hitting all these deep throws and 
you know, they're just, they're not built like that. They are built to hang around and be a nuisance until the fourth quarter or really just until the second half when TJ does something awesome. And then, you know, Kenny activates his magic Kenny fourth quarter powers and they'll somehow win. Like that's what the Steelers do. Every single game is exactly the same. And uh, it it's not, it's not fun to watch for Steelers fans, but they're four and two. Uh, my only other note in this game before we get out of here, I'd be remiss not to mention George Pickens five explosive catches in this game, four of them against press coverage when they drafted him. You know, what did we say it was for? It was to be the X receiver outside who could beat press man coverage. That's what he's doing. Job well done, George. <laughs> Keep yeah. doing what you're doing, bud. <laughs> yeah. Their defense is the reason that they're winning all these games. Three straight late third down stops sealed this game. Like, the Ram and and the Rams lack of tackling like but that's on the Rams in terms of what the Steelers did and controlled their defense locked down three straight late third downs and stopped them and got the Rams off the field like that's what their defense is capable of that's what they're gonna do Keanu Benton had another really nice rush in this one one name to mention on the Rams side Michael Hoyt two sacks in this one he's kind of taken over those Greg Gaines reps as the guy you didn't know of that played on this Rams defensive line before this game that like you know, has been productive all year in terms of sealing the edge. He's bigger than I thought he was. I looked it up this morning. He's over 300 pounds. I did not think that was a thing, but um, Hoyt's been playing really solid football. That's not necessarily flashy. It was flashier in this one because he ended up with a couple of sacks. Sacks are fickle, but he's been contributing. He's just one of those players who you probably didn't know the name of. Um, that's a guy to keep an eye on because he has a he is the pin in that defense. He is the edge that they basically asked to seal a lot of the times, and he's been doing it really, really well. So shout out to him. Good game overall. Frustrating to watch in person, but good game, good game overall. <laughs> I, I uh, thought of you in the stands several times. I was like, oh, okay. He's going to have something to say about that. The Steelers fans around me were agitated, to say the least. And it was so funny because <laughs> once once we got to the fourth quarter, there was a guy uh, behind me who was like, don't worry. We're finally in the part of the game where we're good again. And he was right. Like the fact that they're that predictable. It's like, God, how do Steelers fans do this every week? Um, Dolphins-Eagles. Last game on the docket for us today. You know, we, we kind of alluded uh, earlier to like, hey, maybe this was the first game that we've seen all year where the Eagles kind of look like the Eagles. I still don't think so. Like they're closer. Like this is the first time where I felt like they got closer to looking like, quote unquote, the Eagles. But there's still the wacky turnovers. Like there's still there's still just you know, inexplicable play calls at times, especially in the red zone. Like there's still some, uh, some inefficiency overall in the offense. Like they still do rely on ISO ball a lot, especially when it comes to AJ Brown. What is it? Five <laughs> straight games of 125 plus uh, 125 plus receiving yards. So like it's working because AJ Brown's ridiculous, but um, I still don't feel like we've seen the Eagles play their best ball. Like they, theoretically spotted 10 points to the Dolphins. Like this could have been an even bigger blowout than it was. And like they very casually put up 31 points. 
This game could have been like 40 to 10. (laughs) Yeah, against a very good team, and they keep racking up wins. And that's the scary part, is I'm with you, that it doesn't feel like they've had a game where they maximized everything, offense or defense, although their defense has been very good for most of the year, a lot like their cross-state, I don't want to say rivals, but in the Steelers. Brother? Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. Defense and and professional football in Pennsylvania is pretty good this year. Uh, but the first half I'm with you that we had the Jalen turnovers. We didn't have them sort of exerting their will in the same way. And then things shifted in the second half and they decided we're going to lean on you. And you're again, you're leaning on a very good team. Dolphins are a top team in the NFL. This is top competition. You don't even play what we're talking about as your maximized game, your theoretical best football and you still put up a bunch of points, especially at the end. You just wear them the hell out and win the game going away. It was a good performance for the Eagles. It was really interesting to watch the ways that they attacked them. And you mentioned AJ Brown. We got to talk about him because this is a this is a historic heater. Five straight games with 125 plus yards receiving. He's tied with only two others in NFL history who've done of that one being Calvin Johnson. So this is, you know, if he does it for one more game, he'll hold the record outright. And right now it looks like there isn't any way for that not to happen other than maybe him getting injured because they're throwing up balls and double coverage. He's splitting it, coming down with it and, you know, running away like, yeah, I was supposed to do that. He's playing with supreme confidence right now. And Tennessee fans are just, wilting they brought it up on the broadcast last night it was right during that surge of wide receiver salaries and tennessee didn't want to pay it and there was a lot of wide receiver movement that we didn't expect Devontae adams aj brown because of that little bubble where everybody went well if that guy got 30 million i want a lot more than i'm getting they said do you think tennessee would pay it right now (laughs) like of course they would there's nobody that wouldn't because aj brown is playing especially with Justin Jefferson going out to injury at a, at a higher level than anybody as a wide receiver in the NFL right now. He is on an absolute bender of production. And just whether you're an Eagles fan or not, just pay attention to it because you're not likely to see it again. Well, you are technically likely to see it again because they do play against the Washington Commanders corners this week. So, you know, we might get another one, <laughs> but yeah. you know, maybe, maybe two weeks from now, you're not likely to see it again this week. Yeah, probably in pretty good yeah. shape. Yeah. Uh, I will say um, defensively for the Eagles, their, their defensive line is still the star of the show. Like out of every position group on the team um, it's, it's defensive line and offensive line. They're the two best units. Like even with AJ being historic and Devante being great and, and, you know, Jalen, especially on third down being tremendous their ability to inflict damage in the trenches on the defensive and offensive side of the ball. It's the reason they're so dominant and for Miami to be down three starters on the offensive line, like from the center over to the left, like center left guard, left tackle, all backups. And they got eaten alive. Like once Miami got down and they had to go into like a normal drop back pass game, they couldn't do it. They couldn't pass protect. Um, it was bad. Like Lester Cotton uh, gave up five pressures. Kendall Lamb gave up five pressures and two sacks. Eichenberg just couldn't do anything against Jordan Davis in the run game. And I think when there's that kind of mismatch in the trenches, 
you kind of get results like this one. It's it's almost predictable in that sense, where at the end of the day, can you move the line of scrimmage at all on either side of the ball? If the answer is no, you're probably not going to win. Uh, like Tua had some really nice throws. Tyreek had some really big catches. Like I I don't think I don't think there's anything that Tua or Tyreek could have done to save them because they were just so outmatched on the offensive and defensive lines. Um, also, speaking of that, I want to bring up the the brotherly shove. Got a lot of publicity again last mm-hmm. night. They went four for four on it. They are forty one out of forty four in the last two years when running it in the Nick Sirianni era. I think there's some misunderstanding, and I'm I'm guilty of this too. It it wasn't really until I went back and I watched literally all of them last night because remember when I said I've been up since two forty five in the morning, EJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh well, yeah. Sometimes uh, insomnia gives us bountiful presents. For me, <laughs> that bountiful present was being able to watch 44 brotherly shoves this morning. And so I did that, and I was charting them. And, and in the past, I've been like, oh, well, yeah, it's, it's Jalen. He squats 600 pounds. He'll take the pile and just kind of push it. And nope, that's nope. not what they're doing. And it's not even solely Jason Kelsey, you know, blowing up nose tackles. Like, it's not even that. What it honestly is, is the technique of Kelsey, Dickerson, and Mylotta together, the left side of the line. Like the most of these plays are going left. They've only done yeah. a couple of them right. And one of them got stuffed uh, against the Rams when they when they went right on it. Um, he ran into Lane Johnson and it just didn't go well. So most of these are going to the left. And the way that they run it, from a technique standpoint is the reason why it's so successful. And I'm going to do a film room episode on it. Cause I need like visual aids to really accurately describe this, but like I call it closing the gate. The first step for all three of these guys next to each other is they, so Dickerson is just surging. Like he's identifying whoever's going to be inside of either head up or inside of him. And Dickerson's blocking down on that guy. And the other two guys know we're going to close the gate. So Mylotta's stepping in to get his shoulder onto Dickerson's shoulder. Kelsey's stepping in to get his left shoulder onto Dickerson's right shoulder. And they basically just create a wall. And then it's just little steps, little steps, little steps. And they're just creating this second and third surge. And you would think, oh, if you just get under them, they, they won't be able to move you. That's That's not really the point. They're actually okay with you getting under them. Josh Allen was literally, uh, not Josh Allen, John Allen from the Commanders was literally lying on the ground, like on his elbows, getting under them. And it didn't matter because they're okay with you getting under them because that means that Jalen can go over the top. They're literally just creating a moving wave of bodies. And the role of the people pushing is to push Jalen over that wave so that he can roll down the other side. Like that's that's all they're doing. And I was kind of studying. I was like, okay, what have people done to stop this in the three times that it's been stopped? Again, one of them, they went right instead of left. Um, but there was a rep against Tampa on the goal line where the three technique, 92 for the Bucks. I, I forget the name at the moment. He literally jumped over Dickerson. He's like, I'm not going to go under these time because you're just going to roll over me. So he jumped over Landon Dickerson at the goal line to get like the first contact on Hertz before he could kind of get pushed. And then the edge just went inside of Goddard and kind of hit him as well. So they just went around the wave. They didn't try to stand up to it. Um, And 
they kind of called like stopping forward progress just based on that. So they, they stopped him on the goal line. I think they might've run it one play later again for, for a touchdown, but still like <laughs> they put on tape, like, Oh, you don't try to get lower than these guys. They want you to get lower. They want you to literally put yourself into the ground so that they can roll on top of you. You got to go over it and around it. And I, I don't know consistently if any defense is going to be able to do that. I really don't. It's hard to do. It's hard to get a 315 pound man to jump over Landon Dickerson. Like, come on now. So I think the solution to it, honestly, is just not let them get into fourth and one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't really think of anything else other than just like, well, just don't let them get there. Uh, easier said than done. But uh, if, if that situation does happen, you know, let's say it's NFC championship game against, I don't know, insert NFC power outs here. Maybe it's the Niners, whatever. Sure. You might see Javon Hargrave, former Eagle, try to jump over Landon Dickerson. Because at least on tape, that's the only way that I've seen a defensive line actually stop this thing is not go under it, go over it. Yeah, my notes about this were that it's getting better. It's not just dominant and working a lot. It's actually improving. They're getting like three yards on this thing regularly. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a one, one and a half yard play. The one they went for was a long yard. It was a they needed a clear two yards and they got that and some. And that's what they're getting every time because technique, because of power, because of practice. I feel very much like my lotta went, hey guys, <laughs> I did this a lot as a kid. I've played a lot of rugby. This is how you do it. Yes, you lock feet, you touch shoulders, you drop low, and you work forward. You don't dive forward, you don't lunge forward, you work forward, you get low and you push right with those short choppy steps and we get pretty darn low so that if you get lower than us yeah we're just basically pushing your chest into the ground and then we've got free pass over the back of us and that left side is just slowly it's like slow motion lawnmower right they're slowly mowing people down and yeah Jalen has this great squat capacity he's a very good runner in his own race an explosive athlete but it's getting cleared out for him. And then he's clearing that on top of that rolling. They're getting chunks of yards with this thing. I started to think last night, what if they ran it four times in a row? They'd have a first, they'd have a first <laughs> down with the yardage they're getting now. It wouldn't be four one and a half yard plays. It would be four two to three yard plays. And that adds up to more than 10 yards. Like, do you know who they consulted on this, by the way? So I just found this out this morning from a, no. a buddy of mine. Um, this might be public knowledge. I don't know. I we'll see. <laughs> I might have to we'll edit see, this out we'll later, but now. we'll see. Um, <laughs> so the the guy, it, well, actually, no. Jason Kelsey's mentioned on his podcast. Okay, so this is public knowledge. Now that I mentioned, now that I remember it. Um, but I was talking to my buddy about this, and and the guy who they brought in to consult is a Scotsman. His name is Richie Gray, only man to ever coach in the NFL, rugby union, and rugby league. Oh. And they brought him in as a consultant to basically teach them how to move mass. Like, obviously, the mechanics of it and everything is like different than a scrum. Like, the arms aren't locked, everything like that. But in terms of how leverage works, you know, how leg drive works, how like the constant churning of feet, you know, how what kind of steps do you need to take? Um, like, they they brought him in specifically to consult on how to get together as a bunch of 300 pound plus men and move a pile mm -hmm. and it worked. It absolutely worked. And 
Again, and they're getting better at it. Which <laughs> and they're getting really, better at it. It's not Im- it's not impossible to deal with it, but right. like we're talking about a ninety three percent play in short yardage. Like they called it from their own twenty six and their own thirty seven to close out this game, and it was a seven point game in the fourth quarter. Like that's that's how good this play is. Is that Nick Sirianni was basically in his own red zone in a one possession game in the fourth quarter in prime time. It was like, fuck it, go for Do it. it. Yep. <laughs> twice when, in the same drive like when, it's insane when he did it on his own end when they're in the 20s you know 20 whatever 26 or whatever they called it on i was like Whew, okay like yeah you might have a slight analytics edge there but just about any coach in the nfl is punting that ball away especially when you have the eagles defense like especially when you have that defensive line you're punting that ball away like 95% of the time. And he was like, Mm-mm. nope, we got it. Let's go run them over and did it again in the same drive. Like they know it's going to work. They are better at it than anybody else. Everybody else is just kind of lining up and like flailing into people. And that's why we see it fail more often, I think, than we see it succeed everywhere but Philadelphia, where it succeeds at a crazy rate. And it's giving them extra possessions that other teams wouldn't get. You know, like they they got a touchdown on that possession because they went for it twice and didn't get the ball back. Like they're literally giving themselves extra possessions. And if you're giving Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and, and DeAndre Swift and all these guys extra possessions, like, yeah, they're going to win the game. So it's it's the only offense in the league where, you know, and I think Sirianni even said this, like they, they're not first and 10, they're first and nine. Because if they get to fourth and one, yeah, reload, it's guaranteed, you know. Yep. Guaranteed, almost as close as close as you can get in the NFL. Ninety three percent, like that's that's. There are insane. very few things in the NFL that are ninety three percent effective. I don't care about it, whether it's a coverage, a play, a mismatch on defense versus offensive set. Like very few things run into the ninetieth percentile in the NFL. It is their biggest advantage right now over everybody else, and I am fascinated to see what the Niners do about it. Like I am, I cannot wait for that Niners Eagles game in November. Cause that <laughs> if anybody was going to try to handle it, it's going to be them. Uh, sure. You know, maybe nobody will punt in that game at all. Maybe Kyle's going to be like, you know what? Special teamers take the day off. Like nobody's punting here. They're not doing it. We're not doing it. First to 35 wins. Let's go. I'd, I'd like to see that declared before the game. Yes. We're making our punter <laughs> inactive. <laughs> Oh, talk about throwing down the gauntlet. Yep. We don't even have a kicker today. <laughs> it's Sunday night football, right? Uh, oh, no, it's a 125 p.m. game. What? Uh, maybe it gets flexed. Are we into flex time yet? Not yet. Uh, let's see. December 3rd. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah, that's We should be into the flex. Oh, game it's Chiefs-Eagles that's November. So we get to see them against the Chiefs first. Yeah. And then the 49. Ooh, okay. Good stretch football. So there's a five-week stretch. So they played against the Commanders this week. They're probably going to beat the tar out of them. Um, And then it's the Cowboys. It should be a good game, theoretically, on paper. And then it's uh, Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, Cowboys again. Like, that's that's a fun month of football. Let's go. stressful month of football if you're an Eagles fan, but that's a fun month of football for us. Yeah. No, I'm I'm all about it. That is... uh... That is the antithesis of a college schedule where I look down in mid-October and, you know, Alabama's playing, you know, 
Louisiana, you know, ag and tech. And you're <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Like, come on. Uh, all right. Well, we are about an hour and a half into the show. Again, these just get progressively longer every single week. But hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys, uh, you know, are having a wonderful Monday. We're again recording this before Monday Night Football, so we don't have any insights on that yet. But if you uh, if you come back on Thursday when we do our TNF live stream, we would love to talk about whatever we're about to see tonight on Thursday. I think it's it's Vikings Niners. I think right. Yeah. No, we did a preview of this game. <laughs> uh, it's week seven ej nothing nothing sticking well, in my brain anymore the funny thing is the gap right because you and pretty soon we start running saturday games and then all hell breaks loose it's like what what day is it what week is it i don't remember are we in the next week have we rolled over yet is this seven or you know is this 10 or 11 like the yeah. worst was the covid season when we had games monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday <laughs> it's like all this shit's getting rescheduled like oh god it was a nightmare rinse lather repeat uh all right well we're gonna get out of here 90 minutes into the show hope you guys enjoyed it uh once again check out homage in the link down in the description below if you're shopping for team gear they have the official nfl license so whatever team you support homage has something for you uh starter jacket pullovers are still on sale right now they're selling out but they're still on sale so get those while you possibly can um anything that you buy from homage we get a, a cut of that so it directly helps the show i uh, also want to thank our executive producers over on the patreon marat consti andrew liam connor and mike l appreciate all of you once again ej let's go get ready for a very intriguing possibly frustrating but very intriguing tnf matchup between the bills and bucks <laughs>